Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. Welcome to another exciting episode of SFP Now. Um, this is our last um, main episode of 2014. Um, although we do have a couple of things lined up to uh, see out 2014. But this, this is going to be our last standard episode. And we're sticking to the reviews format that we started with Doctor Who. And joining us once more is uh, Craig McKenzie. Um, from the, um, what's the name of your blog now, Craig? Neil, Neil Before, Before Blog. blog. Yeah. Neil Before Blog, um, is that, that's, that's a .co.uk, right? That's right, yeah. So, you know, you can you can actually look at Craig's stuff um, at neilbeforebongarg.co.uk. And we have uh, Raisa with us, as, as always. So, um, okay, well, we've got several TV shows to, to go over. And um, I do believe that you and Raisa, Raisa want to uh, discuss the recent... Uh, Flash Arrow crossover, which I, I'm sort of like completely ignorant of because I've not seen it yet. But you guys, you know, go away at it. You know, I'm quite happy to, to hear, hear spoilers and stuff like that because uh, that sort of thing just makes me more excited to see it, to be honest. Well, it was it was awesome. I'll, I'll let you start, Greg. Yeah, it was, it was completely awesome. I liked how they did it over two nights, but I think um, on the whole they could have maybe connected the, the two episodes a bit better. You know, there was no indication at the end of the Flash episode that in Arrow it was going to continue. This is true. And the and like you said in your review, the the excuses they got for getting the crossover characters into their respective other episodes were kind of flimsy. Yeah, really. They didn't really but uh, once they were in, I, I forgave them because the episodes themselves were pretty epic. Yeah, I was having so much fun that I wasn't bothered about the fact that they just made up random excuses to get them in the same room together. Yeah, yeah. Although I did appreciate the fact that when they brought the Arrow, the um, Flash crew over to Arrow, uh, Cisco was just like, I just want to see your toys. Can I just yeah. see your toys? I just want to see your toys. <laughs> And they kind of acknowledged the fact that in season one they were ripping off Batman Begins as yes, well, yes. which is good. Yeah. They're yeah. kind of self-aware in that respect. Yes. And I love the fact that I, mean, I didn't even know what a salmon ladder was until Arrow aired. And then sure. now everybody's using a salmon ladder. <laughs> Everyone's had a shot on the show. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so um, what what characters did we see cross over? Because um, obviously Arrow, Arrow and Flash crossed over with each other. Let's, well, let's, let's see, yeah. In, in terms of the supporting characters, um, uh, Oliver and Diggle and Felicity came over to Flash. And Flash, um, Barry and Cisco and Caitlin came over to Arrow. Mm-hmm. And they had and they had basically guest star status in each other's shows, which was, you know, kind of kind of interesting. And um, unfortunately, we didn't actually see because 
Captain Boomerang, Nick's Terabase character, is the excuse for, for, for linking both shows, but we don't actually see him in the Flash crossover. They have, mm-hmm. um, they have Rainbow Raider instead, and I, I looked up the, the, um, the as-written scene in the comics, Rainbow Raider, and he was lame. I'm glad they made the changes they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they, but they called him uh, something else in the show as well. They gave him the wrong name. Well, they started calling him Prism, Prism but then, yeah. um, but then uh, Caitlin decided to call him Rainbow Raider, and Caitlin's not allowed to name them anymore because it's a lame name. But um, well, well, Kate, Caitlin's the one that named Flash, right? She she came up with the uh, with the Flash eventually. No, actually, actually, it was uh, Oliver who did that. Yeah, and then Barry yeah. liked it, and then he suggested that Iris use it, and yeah, he got to cheat by naming himself. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, so like I've just seen that whole series of episodes where where where. Uh, where 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 song I like, uh, is is trying to song I like, uh, tell Caitlin stop writing about him. Yeah. Iris, yeah, sorry, because Iris, yeah. she she's um uh, you know he, he feels that by doing it she's endangering herself as as the episode you know actually proved 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 to prove the point of you know. Yeah, and got, the interesting thing about the flash section of the of the crossover is that when the Rainbow Raider uses his power to instill rage in Barry. He goes completely berserk and ends up hurting um, Eddie, which which alienates Iris, and yeah. they end up they end up with a a flash task force to try and take him down. The cops put one together. I thought that that was kind of actually repetitive with the arrow. I didn't feel like they, they shouldn't maybe shouldn't have gone there. Yeah, they're also kind of good with the the whole Spider Man thing with the um, you know he's a menace and needs to be brought down kind of thing. Yeah, blah blah but, blah. I yeah. really didn't need it. Yeah. It depends what they do with it. I mean, they haven't done anything yet. But, That's true. Yeah. Well, talk, we'll see talk, what this week. Talking about the Flash, and this is kind of like a little bit of a side note, but uh, what do you guys think of the uh, decision to uh, to have Mark Hamill uh, reprise the, twi- the Trickster? You know, well, considering the considering that I I undoubtedly watched the original '90s Flash series because I would have. But I only vaguely remember it, so it must have been just really, really bad. Because the only bits I that I the only bits that I've seen now are the bits that I've caught on YouTube, and I have like no memory of what I'm watching on YouTube. So it must have been so memorable when I watched it the first time around, <laughs> um, and it was it was very bad. So I'm I'm glad that we're going to be getting a new version of this character and get some layers. It's a good grab in terms of casting because obviously Mark Hamill has kind of cult sci-fi status and particularly with DC. And yes. he's also going to be in probably the biggest movie of next year. Yes. You know, so to say that he's been in an episode of a superhero TV show is quite an achievement for that show. It was it was it was regarded as an achievement from what I can tell when they when they got him in the 90s and the fact that that was the role that basically convinced DC to give him the Joker. Yeah. For the animated stuff, is kind of awesome actually. Actually, yeah. I, don't, I don't think his career was as healthy back in the nineties when he got that that role than it is now. To be honest, true, so, like, true. Because you know he, he he seemed to struggle after Star Wars to actually find 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 any sort of like, credible roles, and he he did quite a few mediocre movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think the the association with the flat the nineties Flash and the, and the Joker and the various Batman animated properties probably helped him out a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, it's helped him build himself as an actor. 
in a way that not a lot of, lot of the Star Wars cast have managed to. Mm. Yeah, with, with the exception of, of Harrison Ford, who's a separate yeah. conversation. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I, th- I think think in terms of uh, I think in terms of uh, of acting, uh, you know, Hamill's probably done a lot more than Ford. Um, True. The the only thing is Ford's done 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 a lot more in front of the camera because he's had that yeah. sort of he's had that sort of superstar Hollywood status um, that, that 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 unfortunately Hamill never had. But I think Hamill's actually done a lot more as as as, as a jobbing actor, uh, doing voice work and stuff like that behind behind cameras. You know, as well as writing and and stuff like that. So I think yeah. I think it kind of it's kind of checks and balances and. You know, I, I I like both guys, you know, equally as much. Although, I, yeah, although yeah. in Star Wars, I always hated Newt Skywalker. I wanted Darth Vader <laughs> to win. <laughs> I mean, it's um, voice acting. It's somewhat of a thankless task because, you know, you don't really become a household name by being a voice actor. You know, I know. Even, even the, the big name ones like Peter Cullen, for instance, they're, you know, they're only known to the people that know about these things. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think I think if I was an actor, I'd prefer to do voice acting than be in front of the cameras. Uh, you know, it's just so sort of like you know. I think you could just have so much more fun because it doesn't matter what sort of faces you're pugging or or, or how you're gesticulating and and articulating yourself if you if you're doing doing voice acting and because no one can see you. <laughs> Yeah, very rarely playing against someone else, though. That, that must be difficult. Mm, well, yeah, yeah, and no. I mean, I, I've actually had some acting experience. Um, I, I studied theatre arts uh, years, years and years ago, and I remember when I used to used to be learning the scripts. I used to learn the whole scripts, and I used to sort of like assume all the characters. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just to just to help me learn, just help me learn my lines, really. But mm-hmm. I, I ended up learning everyone else's lines as well, just doing it that way. Isn't mm-hmm. that what Will Smith did in Fresh Prince of Bel Air? Um, yeah, I think it is. Yeah. In some of the early episodes, I think you can see him mouthing other people's lines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, like it's um, it, it's it's a it's a fun one, and uh, you know, I I can't wait to see Mark Hamill back as a trickster because I remember him in the Flash one. And mm-hmm. but to be honest, I thought he was really good in the Flash when he did that. Mm. He he, just... He's regarded by by those who actually actively remember that series as one of the better elements. Was he in it a lot? He did. He, he was in several episodes at least. Right. It only lasted one season, so oh, okay. he did three episodes. He did. He did. Uh, he did one episode where they introduced him, and then then there was another two parter. Mm. Mm. Um, the recurring villain. Thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. he he kind of became the recurring villain, and um, you know, it was um, I I actually I actually you know remember watching the Flash at the time when it was out and and quite liking it, even though it's sort of like uh, even at the time, it, you know, it's even more now than it was back then, but it seemed kind of cheesy back 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 then. Yes, yeah, so although I, I really appreciate the fact that as imperfect as it was, um, the current the current creative team is is willing to acknowledge that series and get so many of the actors back, and and John Wesley Shipp is a sport about it because he'll he'll he's told people openly in interviews that he knows that his version of the Flash was not Shakespeare as they say, yeah. um, but he's he's willing to you know take the piss out of himself just acknowledge that they they did the best they could with what they did yeah like adam west really yeah yeah but with adam west um i think um i think with that batman series that that was what was in vogue at the time um and um obviously it had a hang of a lot more success it's got it's got much bigger cult status 
but you, you have to wonder if the Adam West Batman series had come out in the nineties, would would we be talking about that in the same <laughs> sort of vein as we are talking about about the nineties Flash right now? Yeah, yeah. You know, when you consider what's been what what's been and gone since in terms of Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. You know, it's a it's 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 kind of one of those things where 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 you look back and you're thinking, you know, sort of like uh, you know, you look you look back nostalgically at things through rose tinted glasses, yeah. and sometimes it's best not to sort of like go out and get the DVD set as I as yeah. I as I found on a few things, <laughs> you know. Um, anyway, um, is there anything else uh, we need to talk about in terms of the uh, crossover? Other than the fact that the this, the the actual fight sequences where Arrow and Flash take on each other were awesome. They, yeah. were, they were really well put together. And it was a good job that Barry decided to visit Starling City that week, you know, when there just happened to be five bombs set to go off at once. Yes. <laughs> if it had been any other week he'd have visited, he'd have been screwed. Yeah. Yes. That's, yeah, kind sure. of, that's kind of convenient, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you have, to, you have to accept that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I have to say that when they did actually bring in Nick Terabay as Captain Boomerang, and I love the fact that he got his Captain Boomerang on the Arrow episode, yeah. because there's there's a point where Cisco is so pissed that he literally just says, "Screw you, Captain Boomerang," yeah. and, and and he gets his name right there. Um, Nick Tarabay owned it. He literally, yeah. he did a really good job of that. Uh, Nick, Nick Tarabay, Nick Tarabay is awesome. You know, I've actually interviewed him twice mm-hmm. in the past, and and it's just an awesome guy. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Um, and whatever role I've seen him in, seen him in, he's always nailed it. You know, he's so like he's, you know, so like uh, I thought, I thought it was brilliant in Spartacus. Mm-hmm. I've never seen Spartacus, but heard good things. And it's, Manu it's, Bennett was in that too, wasn't he? Yes, yes. They, in fact, they're they're um, the, the the Arrow Flash team is is active. They're actively Spartacus fans, and they're just, I think I think they have a checklist, and they're just getting as many of the Spartacus actors as they can. Mm-hmm. I think Probably. the same. I think the same could well prove true for the librarians as well, because uh, we we actually had a, an actress from Spartacus in 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 the uh, premiere of that. Yes. Yes. <coughs> so, and it was Leslie Ann Brandt. She played yes. the uh, she played the villain. I've never seen it, so I don't actually know who she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Anyway. Moving on. Should we move on to uh, Agents of Shield now? Yes. Yeah. Uh, keeping in mind that the <clears throat> mid season finale airs for me tonight, so I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it'll be sometime um, tomorrow. I see it. Yeah, and yeah, and so I'm, all I can discuss is the episode leading up to the mid season finale, um, which I think "All Ye Who Enter Here" is what it was called. Yeah, and it was excellent. It was, I mean, it, a lot of it was set up, but it was excellent set up. Yeah, it was. It was good set up, and uh, there was a sense of desperation in, in the plot. You know, with um, Coulson slightly ahead of Hydra, but then quickly catching up. Yes, and, just, yeah. and everything fell apart just really, um, really quickly, and it all worked. Yes, I loved um, Agent Thirty Three and the fact that we now have Ming Na Wen playing a dual role on yeah. the show. That was pretty cool. Gives her a chance to act as opposed to just being stoic and mysterious. Yeah, yeah you can you can only do that for so long. Yeah. Well, she gets to kick her own ass as well, that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're gonna have the fight scene Ming Na Ren versus Ming Na Ren. Yeah. We've already had that actually. 
Yeah, that was, the, I think, the week before. Yeah, but, um, and Sky is coming along well. She is so an inhuman. That's what yeah, she's going to be. Yeah, if um, it's not the inhumans, I'll be annoyed because yeah. they've practically set that up. Yeah, I don't read the comics. I don't have the, the time, the money, or the visual acuity to read a lot of those comics, but I try to, I try to read up on the comics yeah. to keep up, to keep up, because the Marvel and DC universes are so involved. If you don't at least try to read summaries of some of these things, you're completely out of the loop. Yeah. And so I, I try to read, you know, some of this, and so I'm, I'm reading up on the Inhumans, and it's like, yeah, they're an Inhuman, they're Inhumans. And it's just a question of whether or not uh, she and her father are Inhumans we've heard of or not, you know, or yeah, just yeah. Origi- or, or, or original Inhuman characters. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd prefer it to original, I think. Uh, yeah, I would too, I would too. It would be um, just kind of annoying if it was like, oh, by the way, this character's been this character all along. Yeah, really, yeah. It, it wouldn't fit, not given, not given, you know, all the other stuff that they're trying to accomplish. If they want to introduce the inhuman characters that we know that have been established, they need to do that in the films, basically. Yeah. It's, Plus, there is going to be an Inhumans film anyway, so yeah, they're going to. Yeah. yeah, there's been, a, there's also been talk about um, an Agents of Shield and Avengers crossover happening in in the film. Apparently, um, this series is tying in, which is, you know, no surprise. No, no. Well, you know, it, it, it isn't really, and I thought I thought that was that that was kind of what made the first series was the fact that it tied in with Captain America too. Yeah. Um, Until then, they were just name dropping every week. Yeah, and yeah. It, you know, and, and also it seemed it seemed to be a badass villain or or super powered uh, item of the week as well. Yeah, the um, element of that. Yeah. It, it, it's all like it, it, it you know had a surprisingly weak start. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the came you know when it started you know it didn't really rise to to the expectations that that I had of it yeah. you know when it first came out and um, it's doing that now I mean so like you know you say that Sky's come on and you're right she's come on a hell of a lot because I found her to be quite irritating during the first mm-hmm. season yeah well, the characters were I just I just were. wanted to uh, I just wanted to shoot a point blank range in the head. <laughs> But what's what's interesting now is Sky has become a character that if you put the actress in a room with Kyle McLaughlin, which they're going to do to, in tonight's mid-season finale, she can actually hold her own now. Yeah. If you if you had put early season one Sky in a room with anyone played by Kyle McLaughlin, she would have just been eaten alive. Yeah. But she can she can actually carry her own now because she's had the time to actually sort herself out. Yeah, it's a completely different show now. I mean, most of the characters have been redrawn. The newer characters characters are better and everything's you know everything's on point and feels like it's going somewhere rather than just meandering around that's true but that's the double-edged sword of having a connected universe because you get the sense that structurally the thing that was holding them back was they were waiting for the big reveal which they had to wait for the films for that yeah, they could have told okay. better stories in the meantime, I think. Yeah, they could have. They yeah. could have. And I think if they weren't quite as tied into the Marvel Universe, if they had been a little more leeway and just allowing you know their own stories leading up to that, I don't think they would have been as hampered. Yeah. It's a bizarre notion for a film, a, a major film, to be spoiled by a TV show like three days after it comes out or something. Yeah, that was... I mean, I don't mind spoilers, so I kind of laughed it off, but I was feeling very sorry for the folks who do mind spoilers. Yeah, because the only people that um, the only people that would be bothered about something like that are people that like the films, and there's feasibly a lot of people who probably might not have had the chance to go and see it. Yeah, so I'm 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 one of them. It's one of the reasons why I don't mind spoilers, because I know for a fact that I'm not going to see these films immediately after they come out. Mm-hmm. So I just have to, I just have to lump it. I'm going to get spoilers. <laughs> I, I tend to go see the Marvel films on the day of release. 
it's, it's, it's sort of a habit. I don't go. I don't go to the midnight showing of it or anything like that. I just go to it on. I just go to a matinee, a matinee performance on 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 the day of release. And um, and you know, there's very few. There's very few of the Marvel films that have been disappointing to me. Um, Iron Man three is one of them. Yeah, same. You know. Um, and and um, the two Hulk movies, uh, the second one was slightly better than the first, but to be honest, both of those were quite, quite disappointing for me. Yeah, I like yeah. I liked Incredible Hulk, but Hulk isn't related to it at all, frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's it's just um, it's just one of those things. That I love I love the first Captain America. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the fact that it was you know it was set during the Second World War. I wasn't too sure about him him be, being being a member of the USO though. Entertaining the troops, so wasn't I'm I'm so like I'm a little bit unsure about about that to be honest. Um, but the rest of it I, I loved, and uh, I just saw I loved the fact that he he hooked up with the commandos. Yes, you know. Yes, what, what are they called now? Can't can't remember the uh, howling commandos. The howling commandos. I'd love yes. to see I'd love to see a TV series about them. Well, they that had to crop up an agent Carter. Yes, people. People are also some fans are also speculating that um, that Sky's mother will end up cropping up in Agent Carter because she might have stayed with Agent Carter after Agent Carter got out, got her out of the cage initially and only got back to her village after Agent Carter was retired. Yeah, that's possible. So they, you know, because you know, because it, it just yeah make, makes more sense considering that they got a dollhouse of them to, to play the character. They want to give her more screen time. Yeah. Must say, must say, could actually have a crossover with Agent Carter and uh, and Shield by having Hagee Atwell um, play, play the older Agent Carter in Agents of Shield. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah, to do yeah. to do that. Um, I mean, character I've really liked, and he's not really being used too much this season as yet. Well, he's being used a bit, but I quite like Agent Triplet. I think he's really good, and and I love the I love the fact in season one that 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 his father was one of the ha- that his grandfather was one of the Howling Commandos, yeah. and yeah. and he you know he helped out Coulson with all this gadgetry from the nineteen forties. Yeah, I, 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 I so I so want Triplet to meet Captain America. <laughs> I want him to actually just physically meet the man. Yeah, that'd be great. I wish he was getting given more to do though. He's he's just kind of a background guy. Yeah, I mean, he was given a bit more to do towards the end of the first season, but you know, since then, he's he's just sort of been mostly in the background. Uh, so yeah. I'm I'm actually with you on that, Craig. I'd love to see I'd love to see tripping it get a bit more have a bit more to do or a little bit more of an art going on. Um, yeah. Part of the part of the issue is the actor who plays him was not um, under a regular contract, and so he's actually on another show. Is he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they're having to juggle two shows with two different schedules. That may change depending on what's going on with the other show. I can't remember what, what the other show is, but I just remember reading that he's they've got some sort of weird logistical thing with him that's determining, at least right now initially, what his story arc should be or like. The, the se- end of season one definitely, you know, you had that group shot that basically told you this is our cast in season two, and he's yeah. obviously quite prominent, but, mm-hmm. you know, he's been around, but he's not really done that much. He applies to yeah, the things like that. There, there were some there was some kind of bureaucratic thing with something contractual that was going on with him um, with another show. Makes sense. So what do you guys reckon to the old the old action guy, the one that betrayed him? I can't remember his name. Oh, Ward. Ward. Um, here's, here's the interesting thing. On one level, I'm very happy for Brett Dalton because he's actually being able to show what he's capable of. Yeah. On the other hand, his arcs in both season one and season two kind of stop. When they when they pair him off with Bill Paxton and Kyle McLaughlin, mm-hmm. because because if he's paired off with either one of them, 
he's basically paired off with scenery chewers and he just, you know, it sort of just stops for a while while he's in the corner while they're chewing the scenery. Yeah. So, stru so structurally, it's kind of strange. It's got to be a little strange for Brett Dalton. So. Yeah, but Ward definitely seems to have his own agenda. And I yes. don't think he'll be hanging around with Hydra or whoever for too long. I no, think he'll I, use I, them for what he needs and then he'll move on and do something else. Yeah. No, he's. I love the fact that he's an absolute wild card and completely psycho in a way that you can't even, like, try to get ahead of. Because some, yeah. psych some psycho characters you can get ahead of. He's not one of those psycho characters. Well, he everything, just, he, everything he does is like, why is he doing that? But it's yeah. in a good way. You know, I'm just kind of, I feel yeah. like he, he knows what he's doing, but we don't. And yeah. it's, it's interesting that way. Yeah, I'm hoping by the end of the season, all of the bits and pieces will line up and it's go, oh, that's what he was trying to accomplish. Yeah, if they can I pull mean, it together, it would be great. Yeah. yeah. One of, I mean, one of, my, one of my favorite character beats in this first half of the season is at the point at which Ward and the Doctor, who's Sky's father, and Whitehall are in the same room, and it's the three of them in this in this stare off, and it's like, oh my god, because yeah. you get the feeling that Whitehall doesn't realize he's surrounded. Yeah, Whitehall is slightly <laughs> in over his head, but he's trying. He's to fracked. Him. He's absolutely yeah. fracked. <laughs> uh, Robin, uh, who does the uh, Marvel News Roundup, had this really interesting theory about Ward, um, but I don't think it's going to prove true now. Uh, she she had this theory that he's going to go on to become become some sort of manipulative senator or something, uh, but I don't think that's going to be possible now because obviously his big brother's a senator. Yeah, and, and, he, and, he, and he basically killed his big brother, so he's got yeah. no in now. Yeah, so... It's over. Unless he unless he somehow changes his face. Yeah. I just hope they don't have him back on the you know back on the shield team. All is forgiven because it's too far gone for that now. I think. Yeah, it is. Unless this turns out to be a giant undercover assignment where he's basically doing method acting. Uh, oh, that, would be, that would be a terrible twist. It would. Yeah. But short of a twist like that, I don't see him back on the team. I mean, could you I see Colson saying, right, you do this mission and you will need to kill a lot of people on both sides, but you know, I'm fine with that. I don't think so. Yeah, no, that's that's not Colson. No. That's maybe Fury. Fury, Fury, would do like Fury would do something like that, but not Colson. Yeah, Colson's yeah. a little bit too much of an idealist. Yeah. So unless we find out that he's actually working for Fury... Yeah, I, mean, uh, I, I like that discussion in, in the most recent episode where Coulson said that as far as he's concerned, there's no such thing as acceptable losses. But yes. the fact is, he was willing to lose people if he needed to. It's yes. just kind of, Fury was okay with it, but he isn't. No. It's that difference. Yeah. He's, he's a little bit like Captain Kirk in that way, you know, in the, the original Captain Kirk in the original Star, Star, Star Trek. You know, yeah. he, he lost people every every week, but every time he lost someone, he was so like he, he was always cut up about it. Yeah, it was kind of one of those burdens of command he had to had to just deal with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's, um, I think the series is shaping up really well. Absolutely, yeah. it's actually you know a joy to watch rather than just being a chore. Mm -hmm. Whereas last season it was kind of a chore to watch yeah. until until we, we we got what the crossover was and. And then it became interesting. Yeah, I do. Um, keep in mind that the um, the Flash mid-season finale is going to be like a minute or two minutes longer. Is it? Yeah, which is going to be annoying. I'm basically going to have to go online to get the first scene of uh, Agents of Shield because I'm going to end up miss missing it for the slightly longer episode of Flash. But there are ways around that. I'll sort it yeah. out. Yeah, for my for my methods of getting a hold of these shows, that won't be an issue. No. Yeah. <laughs> same same methods I used to employ, but I just don't do it anymore because I don't have the time. I'm not, I'm not going to say what they are for legal reasons. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, basically, I used to just uh, fly over to the uh, States every week <laughs> and, and do that way. It was, um, 
you know, I, I kind of invented this, uh, this 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 device which allowed me to scramble my mother cues and, and reappear <laughs> in, invisibly in somebody else's living room. It was pretty cool. I've seen some pretty wild shit go down too, so... <laughs> Oh, okay, um, so next up um, is a new series, and um, a little bit later on in the show, we, we actually have an in- interview with uh, the executive producer and the writer of, of the pilot episode, uh, John Rogers, but um, next up is basically The Librarians, which uh, premiered on Sunday in the mm-hmm. US and uh, premiered on Sci-Fi Channel on Monday here in the UK. Um, Librarians, of course, it's kind of like a, a, a sequel to, to the uh, Librarian movies, which starred, starred Noel Wiley and uh, were produced by Dean Devlin. Um, so, Raisa, I'd like you go first, because uh, I know you've been gagging to talk about this. Yes, I am very, 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 very happy with Librarians. Librarians, Dean Devlin, for those who don't know, is also the the man responsible for leverage. And in terms of being a sequel to the Librarian movies, Librarians is basically the leverage version of the Librarian concept. Because Noah Wiley's character, for various narrative reasons, ends up with a team. And the it's very interesting because Christian Kane plays a member of uh, who plays uh, um, a member of the team who's an um, art historian genius oil worker who's been hiding his intellect. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's I recently read an interview where Christian Kane said it was very weird to have to forget how to fight in yeah. order to play this role. Yeah, it's it's kind it's kind of funny that because in in the interview that we're going to be playing later on with uh, with John Rogers, John talks about that. He says that Dean Devlin had to say to Christian Kane constantly. He says. Uh, you know, you, you're going to have to sort of like start telegraphing your punches more and, and, and sort of making bigger movements um, because, you know, this guy, he, he's more he's more of a bar fighter, he's more of a brawler, he's not, he's not a refined, you know, fighting fighter. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, and, and, and in leverage, I don't know if you've seen leverage, Craig. Not yet, it's on the list. Mm. Well, in leverage, Christian Kane he played he played an absolute he played an absolute bloody hard ass. He was so like he was he was actually a hitman. Oh, really? um, mm. in, in, yeah, in and he he plays um, uh, sort of a, a spec ops badass, you know, look them Nikita little killer. Mm. And it was it was it's it was a joy to watch and to have to and have to have uh, Christian Kane step down from that is equally fascinating because he can do it. Mm-hmm. We're actually watching him accomplish it, and it's uh, it's quite interesting. It's it's quite quite fun to watch him song like telegraphing his punches, whereas before he wasn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? It's um it's quite quite an interesting contrast, and by contrast, Rebecca Romjin's uh, character of Eve is song like uh, a refi- a refined commando. Yes, you know, yeah. She, she, she was she was in, in terrorism, so she she's the one who actually does the refined. No kidding around. I'm just going to end you now. Fighting. Mm-hmm. And she does it really well. Um, I got. I'm. I'm with you, Risa. I liked it. I quite enjoyed the different characters. I think Ezekiel Jones, the uh, the thief. It's going to take me a while to warm to him. So same same know. thing. But I think. But I. I still enjoyed him. Um, I also. I also like the fact that they were not afraid to get an actor who was obviously a different nationality, so that we get the the New Zealand or Aussie accent, whichever one is. Like, not sure, but he's he's uh, definitely definitely foreign. And I also um, I really like the um, the synesthete character uh, who can uh, link all five senses 
to retrieve information and uh, as an iodetic memory thing. Unfortunately, the reason she can do that became a plot point. She has a tumor, so she's she's on a clock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I I enjoyed the fact that she she saw that in the episode she kind of betrayed the team. Yes. Um, because she was you know the the uh, the villain of the piece actually promised to uh to, to to heal use use the magic to heal her brain tumor. And she mm. kind of completely bought into that, but by by the end of it, she's willing to give up um, the, the the chance to heal her brain tumor in order to sort of save the life of um, the life of Flynn. Yes, yes, you and uh, I have to say, the returning characters—they got Flynn back, they got Judson back, and they got um, uh, Charlene back, played by Jane Curtin. Jane Curtin and Judson were effectively written out. Um, Wiley. Um, they did this in part because Wiley is doing um, oh, Falling God. Skies. Yeah, Falling Skies. I, I stopped watching it, kind of blanked mm-hmm. on it. Um, <laughs> she's still doing Falling Skies, so he's not going to be... That's one of the reasons they switched to a team concept is because he um, is not going to be able to be in all of the episodes. It To start with, it's a 10-episode limited series, mm-hmm. so they're just, just, they're just going to see how, how it goes. Hopefully, it'll do well enough to get a season two. It okay. should. It got seven point um, two million viewers for TNT. I don't know if that's any good or not. That's that's good. That's um, good. That's good. That's good for basic cable. Well, and uh, they, if if it holds, uh, it should be enough for a second season. There'll probably be a drop in audience. Um, probably there. Slightly. There usually is. There yeah. usually is. Yeah. Shows very rarely retain their pilot audiences for whatever reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's kind of like um, I quite enjoyed it. It's very pulp. It's very pulp orientated. It's very pulp adventure. I mean, the titles of the uh, episodes, for example, the first one was called "The Crown of King Arthur," and the second one was called "Sword in the Stone." And, yes. And, and they 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 had it. So you know, the librarians, the Crown of King Arthur, the librarians, the Sword in the Stone. Oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> and stuff like it's that. It's, it's 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 very pulpy and it's very sort of like. Um, it's, it's very. It's in the same vein as in Indiana Jones. Only, only this, you know, less darkness and a bit more humour. Um, I really enjoyed Leslie and Brandt. But yes. I, I always enjoy Leslie and Brandt, and it's absolutely nothing to do with her acting. Though she, though she is very capable of actress. Yes. <laughs> um, I also enjoyed uh, Matt Frewer. Oh um, yes. Who, who's yes. the uh, main villain? He's going to be the recurring villain. And, you know, and another thing I really enjoy about, and this is something I always enjoy about films, was the music. I love the soundtrack and the incidental music. It's sort of like it's got, it's got that, 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 that pulp vibe to it. Yes, it does. It does. But it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's going to be interesting to see how it, how, how it, um, how it evolves. Um, I, think the first, I think the first two, you know, story-wise, were perfectly adequate. Yes. Um, I don't think the stories were, were absolutely fantastic, but I felt, felt they were adequate. Um, and, you know, it was really basically the characters that sold it last night when I, when I yeah. seen it. Uh, the one thing that, that, that really, that really stuck, struck, struck me was the uh, CGI. It was a little wonky. It was a little um, working. Well, um, the scenes down in Buckingham Palace, where where they go into the cellar in Buckingham Palace, um, it kind of looked like um, Craig will remember this. I'm not sure if you will read it because it's a British show. Craig, do you remember a game show back in the eighties called Nightmare? No, I think it was a little before my time. Mm, it might, might be in eighties or nineties. Basically, they used to have the, these contestants that go out into a Dungeons and Dragons scenario, and and they had a team. Um, at, at a desk helping them because they couldn't see and they were being guided by, by this team 
and it was all computer generated the environments were all, all computer generated and, and they met various people and had to sort of like do various things the the Buckingham Palace scenes um, were a little bit better than that, but to be honest, the you know the the, the, the bits in the summer where you know part of it looked like um, a nineteen nineties video game, <clears throat> which isn't particularly good considering the uh, the amount of money that's be, being spent. Well, that, that was the only that was the only really, that was the only really dodgy CGI bit that that I seen, but it kind it kind of stuck out enough for me, you know, stuck out enough for me to actually reference it in my review. Um, and you know, as I say, it didn't really enjoy, spoil my enjoyment of the thing. They enjoyed the story. I was engaged by the characters, but at the same time, um, with with me with, with me being a video gamer and with me sort of like uh, having seen a lot of stuff with CGI. It, it it stuck out from to me from that point of view. Mm. You know? Yeah, I understand um, that. Dodgy CGI is always going to be noticed, um, especially if you watch a lot of you know CGI inspired things. Um, bad CGI just really sticks out. Whereas you know practical effects, obviously, well, they'll, they'll always be good if they're if they're done well because it is a real thing they're dealing with. Mm. The, the you know the, the the concept of the story about the library sort of like going 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 missing was mm-hmm. fun. Um, I thought that was fun. Um, I, I was rather touched. Um, I was really sorry to see Excalibur die. I was that really hurt. sad about that. That hurt. That hurt. Because that's all like uh, that. That's been a main feature. Of the, that was a main feature of the three librarian films. Which yes. Was the sword at Scangiber and uh, and Flynn dooming with that Scangiber at the beginning of each uh, each of the films? It sort of like, had an element of humour to it. Yeah, and I I didn't expect to uh, to feel the death of a, of, a, of a vaguely sentient ancient sword, but I really did feel that. I'm like, <laughs> oh no, not Excalibur. Yeah, it's sort of like it was um it was it was more painful than um uh, than, than 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 the dot two episode where Matt Smith reached. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and again, that was a. It was actually, you know, there was more. There was more emotional depth to handles. <laughs> um, yes. In in that episode, than there was to the actual plot of the episode. It's you know, whereas you know, it sort of like it evolved that same sort of feeling, as in you kind of like, uh, you you kind of like feel, feeling for 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 a sword. Damn it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's it's strange. Um, what did you think of the new, the new, the, the guy that's replacing Judson? We got John Larroquette. He's um, going to be awesome. I'm sorry to lose Newhart because Newhart rocked as Judson. Um, Newhart was a highlight of all three of the original librarian movies, um, but I can understand it. It's obvious that Newhart, Newhart is, um, you know, not. He's getting older. You know, some some years have gone by, and I can understand why he wouldn't want to commit to a, a regular weekly thing. So I think the send-off they gave him was very fitting. Um, I think the the fact that it forced Flynn to actually confront death and loss and some of the things going on in his own life was very fitting. Um, I think as a way to half, half write out Noah Wiley, I thought the whole setup was extremely good. Because they were gonna, they were gonna have to figure out a way to well, to allow him to ju- to juggle two series. Although I have to say, um, I kind of wish he would just give up Falling Skies and go do the Librarians permanently. Because I always thought the Librarian was a better series. Mm, yeah, well, you know, Falling Skies is a uh, is one one of those dystopic di- di- series that 
you know. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, Craig, I'm not sure if you feel the same way, but I'm, I'm kind of getting a bit tired of uh, of dystopic science fiction now. Yeah, it's, I, I, I mean, it, it can still be good, but it is, it's overused, you know, and it's it seems that the first approach for a lot of adaptations is how can we make this character darker? Yeah, yeah. And that's why I love Flash so much, because it just went in, stayed true to the spirit of the thing and kept it light, kept it fun, you know, and it's, it's kind of unusual these days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think I think there's actually room to actually sort of like uh, have something that's kind of like between the two. Um, yeah. Whereas the librarians isn't really between the two, because it's actually mainly aimed at a family audience, and, you know, mm. that's... That's something I really enjoyed about it, and it's, that's an aspect I really enjoyed about Warehouse Thirteen as well. Yes, the fact that, it yes. Was, that you know, I don't, 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 no, you, you, you admittedly said last week, Craig, that you didn't get it. I, I, yeah. I actually enjoyed it because it was aimed at, at a family audience. It was wasn't wasn't so sort of like. Uh, and and it wasn't afraid to sort of like uh, take the piss out of itself, mm, yes, and and make fun of its own mythology. You know, which was, and I think any show that does that is 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 is, is going to be a good show. Um, but it's, it's, in, in as far as the dark and gritty is concerned, you know, I, I think, to be honest, with, with the world going to shit anyway, and uh, us, us um, you know, here, here in the UK, we're allegedly out of the recession, <laughs> allegedly, uh, but unfortunately, it's only the, uh, the top 1% that are out of the recession, the rest of us yeah. are still struggling. Um, I think I think so. Like in you know, nighter so like science fiction entertainment. You know, more, the more pulpy side is probably needed now. You know, yeah. So sort of give yeah. people a bit of hope. It's, it's yeah. good to sit and sit and watch something that gives you a bit of fun escapism once a week, and instead of something that depresses you. Or, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, the, the reboot of Battlestar Galactica, that, that, that was as traumatic an experience as watching EastEnders for me. I just wanted to take a gun and shoot myself at the end of each episode. Although that, <laughs> came, along, that came along at the right time, I think. It's it, one of those, you know, it, it, was, did, it was kind of alone, or it wasn't alone, but it was, it was in a minority of really dark science fiction at the time. It did, but, uh, you know, at the time, um, me being such a big fan of the uh, classic series, even though I acknowledged the classic series, you know, wasn't that great. Right, you know, there's not. There's basically a lot of rehashed scripts from Gunsmoke. Uh, the reason being that they did, they did just didn't have the, uh, the, 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 uh, the the time because what happened is uh, it was commissioned as a miniseries, and then once they'd so like shot, gotten halfway through shooting a miniseries, uh, the network changes his mind and decides to oh let's commission this as a series. So all of a sudden, the, the writers are having a scramble to write this series. Uh, and 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 it's already in production. Whereas, uh, you know, so like uh, with with Ron Moore's Galactica, so many episodes would have been already written when they when they went and went into into production. The classic series never had that much mm. sort of thing, and and it shows. Um, yeah. But you know that that said, that they they are there are there are some little gems in 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 the classic series, and I kind of like the familiar the, the family sort of like orientated thing of the classic series and. I was sorry that, you know, Ron Moore reimagined, you know. I kind of you know, I kind of I kind of think that show probably would have you know, it probably wouldn't have been it probably wouldn't have had the popularity and the success it had had Ron Moore actually told that story and called it something else. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it kind of yeah, I suppose brand recognition was what got it started, but it very quickly went its own way, I think. I mean there was 
And from what I know, I hadn't seen the original series, but there was lots of kind of callbacks and, you know, little references that, that people that watched it would get. But in general, I think it, it did its own thing. And I think it was completely different to anything else that was kicking about at the time. Obviously, if it was released now, it'd be in a sea of, you know, in a sea of similar dark stuff and might get lost. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's funny now because, you know, the Sci-Fi Channel's got the... That new series, Dominion, which is quite dark. I, I watched uh, I watched the first three, maybe four episodes of that, and it was hard going. I thought, you know, I can't take any more of this. You know, I, I, I just I, like, I, I didn't, didn't even bother. Didn't even bother. Yeah, so, it's based on a Dominion is based on a, a, a film of the same name. Is the film not called Legion? A Legion. Yeah. yeah. The, the film's Legion. called The film's called. I haven't Legion. actually seen either. But. No, I haven't either. But I just I just knew it wasn't for me. And basically, um, war war between heaven and hell, apocalypse, hell on earth. You know, everybody's suffering. Everybody's doing the the Hobbesian me me me. You know, survival of the fittest. You know, the same old crap. Just watch Constantine. It's a bit of a happy medium there. I love Constantine. I, yeah, I'm me really too. enjoying Constantine. I think it's a good series. Um, it's a shame they're stopping production of this season from the thirteenth mm-hmm. episode. It is, and and what what what's sort of like um, what sort of concerning about that is, although they've actually come out and said that the series isn't cancelled, um, you know, it's it's cancelled. Um, well, it's, it's cancelled. Well, you know, so like. We know that, Ray, so you and me know that, but the thing is, they're coming out and saying it's not cancelled, yeah? Yeah. Yet. It's possible it could live on another network, though. Sometimes that happens. It happens sometimes. Yeah. It could, or, or they could actually just make it, you know, for Amazon or Netflix or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, Amazon are already picking it up, so... Well, Amazon are already carrying it here in the yeah. UK, because there's, there's no, no UK network um, that, that's carrying it. Uh, talking of which, uh, are you a Supernatural fan? Yes. Well, E4's got the rights to it now. That E4's yeah, going that. to start it, showing it in January. It was going unbroadcast for the past couple of years, but when Living dropped it, and that was it. Mm. Well, I think Living only dropped it earlier this year. But you know, to be honest, Living for me were doing a name ass job of showing it anyway because it was sort of like it was often it often wasn't being shown until six months to a year after after the season had aired in the U, in, in in the states <laughs> sort of is there any wonder people seek alternative means well, yes. there's no no wonder people seek alternative means when when networks are doing that i mean it was all right to do that say 10 years ago yeah but not now but not now you know it's all like um, that, that's what pissed me off about torchwood <laughs> you know ch- ch- you know the the uh, torchwood um, the the american version of torchwood that you know turned out to be May as well just called it shitwood. Um, but what pissed me off about that is the BBC didn't show it until the week after it was aired in the UK, in in the US, and then they had the audacity to show us an edited version. Yeah, it's our show, but... you know. And yeah, it's our show. We created it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it just it, it just really gnawed at me that, and um, you know, it turned out in the end it was just such a disappointment and. Um, I, I don't think I don't think we're ever like to see Torchwood back on the air. To be honest, I don't think it's. Gonna no, happen. I I think it's I think it's over. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I, I, you never know. It's not impossible. No. It's not impossible, but, but so many years has gone since, and and John Barrowman's not going to be explaining about another ten years. He's just going to look too old. Yeah, <laughs> and and you can you can tell that John Barrowman realized that he needed to move on because he did in fact move on. I mean, the fact yeah. that he's on the fact that he's on Arrow. Um, is is indicative of the fact that this is a very practical man. He's actually said in interviews that if I if I if I waited for Torchwood to come back, I'd be starving now. Yeah, he's um, somehow I, a series regular on Arrow who's had less appearances than he did in season one. Yes, 
But that said, um, in, in Arrow, he's, he's played a really cool role. He's uh, like, um, you know, Arrow, for me, has actually shown shown me that John Byron can actually act. Yeah, for sure. Whereas in, in, in Torchwood, he, he was, and, and, and the Doctor Who was camping up so much, it was actually hard to tell. Although, to be fair, um, once we got to Children of Earth, you know, that, 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 that Torchwood series, um, you know, the, the, the campness of Captain Jack was kind of becoming gradually less and less sort of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was also it was also less on the Torchwood radio episodes, which I did actually listen to. So um, and then for the odd episode where you would uh, you know where you would kind of get a bit more introspective and stop yelling at everybody, and you know it would be there'd be some good stuff going on there. But it was more of an exception rather than the rule. Yeah. But you know, it's 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 actually you know like, like I say, it's uh, Arrow to me showed me that Barrowman can actually act. You know, mm-hmm. it's actually, yeah. It's actually shown as show, shown as what he can do. Versus, you know, sort of like um, the, 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 you know, the fact that he was established as Captain Jack, this, uh, this camp omnisexual sort of like, um, you know, out there over the top sort of character, mm. sort of thing, which was, you know, and and to be honest, um, I think we had this conversation last time, but he, he, he came under a lot of fire from a lot of fans for that. Yeah. You know, yeah. That, that were actually questioning his acting ability because because of Torch. Mm. But, you know, he's, a, he's an extremely talented guy. It's, 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 actually, um, it's actually great that he's still still working and, and on Arrow and stuff like that. Yeah, hopefully I'll have more to do in the second half of the season. I think he's had conflicts with doing plays and so on in the first half. Because mm-hmm. uh, I know he's in a panto near here, actually, um, for, uh, over Christmas. I think he's in Glasgow. Aye. Mm-hmm. Okay, well... Uh, um, have we got anything else to talk about? No, I've covered yeah, everything I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I mean, I've I seen Gotham, um, and um, the episode you was telling me about, Craig, it's going to be airing next week here. The mid-season finale, yeah. Well, not the mid-season finale, but the episode where, where Alfred gets to unleash his, uh, his, his, his inner SAS commando yeah, that's stuff. That's the mid-season finale, yeah. Um, so the last one was Harvey Dent. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, they, that was the last one I seen last night. We introduced yeah, Harvey Dent with the obvious coin flipping and so on, mm-hmm. and also the the alluding to his psychosis quite quite early on, where he actually fronts up against that crime god. Yeah. Um, uh, that, that was, I wasn't quite expecting that because um, you know in 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 prior incarnations of Harvey Dent, that's never really been apparent until he's become Two Face. I remember in the nineties Batman cartoon when he appeared in the a couple of episodes prior to Two Face being introduced, he was slightly bipolar as well. Mm. well Only yeah. slightly because it was a cartoon for kids. But, you know. mm-hmm. Well, it's it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna be it's it's interesting the way way that's all unfolding. So. Um, I'm quite looking forward to that mid-season finale next week and um, and, and everything. But, yeah, um, I think that's about it for this week. It's now time for um, our interview uh, with uh, John Rogers. But before we go to that, I'd like to wish, you know, I'd like to wish both Raisa and Craig uh, a happy Christmas. Thank you. Same to you. And, and we will be back in the new year. We, we have a couple of shows going on um, after this one. Um, we've got a Star Wars special coming up, which is basically Patrick and I uh, discussing uh, everything Star Wars. It was recorded a few weeks ago. And we also have a round table discussion coming up uh, between myself, Junie, uh, and, you know, between myself, Mark's Powell, and his wife, Junie, um, where we're basically going to do a year in review. Um, anyway, it's time to go on to the interview now. Um, so I'm just going to pass us over to the interview um, that I did. Uh, last week with uh, John Rogers, uh, one of the producers behind Librarians. You are about to begin 
a wondrous adventure from which you will never be the same. Welcome to the library. get used to saving the world? We just broke into the Tower of London and now you want us to break into Buckingham Palace? Oh, it's more fraud than it is breaking and entering. Oh, joy. You'd be surprised what you can learn at the library. And this is where we run. Go! 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 I'd like to welcome a, an old friend back to the show. It's uh, John Rogers, the uh, producer of Nedridge and now the executive producer of the new show, um, which is hopefully going to be another hit for him, Librarians. How are you doing, John? Very good, Ian. Thanks for having me back on the podcast. I appreciate it. It's good. So, you know, t- tell us about what happened, because last time I spoke to you, it was, like you, it was um, I think you was on the penultimate season of Nedridge. That's right. And... Um, and and you went from I think Leverage wrapped when was it around about 2012? Yeah, Leverage wrapped 2012, and we aired that winter that that last uh, couple episodes that winter, uh, and then uh, after that, um, you know, rather than hop straight to another show, uh, you know, because it's it's a little tiring running a show, particularly one at the the pace and the budget of um, Leverage. Uh, you know, it took uh, two years, three years now to uh, no, just two years. Um, to uh, start a production company named after my blog, because uh, my blog's more famous than I am, Kung Fu Monkey Productions, uh, mm-hmm. sort of specializing in genre, entertainment, young writers. I liked working with young writers on leverage. That was my favorite part, uh, is kind of training people up to become producers. And, uh, you know, just finding really interesting original ideas and kind of dropping a shoulder and protecting it. And, uh, you know, developing our own material, not necessarily for me to write or run, but for me to supervise and train up other people. So did that for a while. And then in the middle of that, uh, as we developed other projects, last August, Dean Devlin, uh, who, of course, I'm you know, still, was still friends with, and uh, Noah Wiley, Michael Wright all called me together and said, look, we got the rights to the librarian movies back. Um, and they had been not in rights hell, but in that sort of horrible maze that intellectual property rights fall into in modern day. Uh, we want to do a series, but we've got kind of a weird situation. Noah is still doing Falling Skies. He can't be available for all of it. So can you come up with a show that Noah can be in as much as he can, but still is supported when he's not there and still a good show? It's like, well, that's uh, not too impossible. Uh, so wrote a script, um, and I was just uh, saying earlier, it's so weird to be in December, because I turned it in December of last year. They greenlit it as soon as we got back, and we went straight to 10 episodes. We didn't do a pilot. Mm-hmm. So we, we went straight into a 10-episode series with five weeks of prep, which, uh, pro tip, don't do. And, uh, and then we banged that. I mean, we were writing for characters we hadn't even cast yet. The writers were, you know, we didn't know who Ezekiel Jones was until, like, three scripts in. We didn't know who would be playing him. Um, and so, uh, you know, we did that, shot that uh, from sort of April, middle of March through April, uh, 
all the way through end of July this year, and then we've been in post production up until literally we locked we locked our last episodes yesterday. So uh, and we air on Sunday. Wow, so, so busy. Yeah, you you are here on Monday here in the UK. Yeah. Um, I mean, it certainly must have been a really quick, you know, quick, you know, quick process, as you say, because I remember the initial press announcement that that was made. The press release was, uh, I think, it came out uh, January. Yeah, it was. It was from when January was announced, and then we started to negotiate contracts and all the rest of it. So, you know, we started shooting in April, and the I was hiring writers in February. You know, it was just uh, it was five weeks. It was five weeks from writers in the room to first episode roll. Uh, and, and you know, and, and right, uh, hiring writers was the easy bit. You know, we had to hire the actors and audition people and get the production mechanism back into place. You know, one of the reasons we went back to Portland was because we had the production system in place from Leverage, so we knew we could. If there was any city we could get up and running quickly, it was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, it was all a bit mad. Noah did the first two uh, and then went away, did some work, um, got married, uh, and uh, you know, lovely young woman, and then came back and shot the last two and we're, we're shot out of order so that one of those two will be in the middle of the season. Mm-hmm. So um, how, how did you go about um, you know, building the team and, and what can you tell us about the, about the different team members you know, just for those that have not, that have not actually read up on, on it too much? Well, to, to sort of recap, The Librarians was a series of TV movies starring Noah Wiley where you discovered that underneath the Metropolitan Library, uh, the New York Library, but we say Metropolitan Library for copyright reasons, uh, is, a, is the headquarters of the Secret Society that collects all sorts of ancient magical artifacts uh, or weird artifacts ranging everything from you know, uh, Nemo's Nautilus to the Holy Grail. Uh, it's all under there somewhere. This was seven years before Warehouse 13. I was just going to say that. <laughs> and so, you know, the, the first three movies were very successful, did great numbers, still rerun very strongly. Uh, I worked on both the first and third one as kind of just a, a general rewrite hand guy, production rewrite guy. Uh, not really a big part of it, either of them. And, and so they established the character of Flynn Carson, uh, Noah Wiley, as the sort of hapless geek who is swept up in this... It's meant to be Indiana Jones, and the guy is completely unprepared to be Indiana Jones. And over the course of that three movies, we very much arced him into, okay, he's getting more and more comfortable with this life, but he's getting lonelier and lonelier, and you're starting to see the price of this life. And and so when the series came about, it was like, look, we don't want a librarian. Noah still wants to be the librarian. He is the guy. Uh, and so how do we how do we do it, though, when he's not there? We don't want there to be another librarian. That's just confusing. And so we came up with, well, I would like to say we came up with, but Lester Dent solved this problem for me 80 years ago. We have a model. It's Doc Savage, uh-huh. one polymath and a bunch of really great experts, each in their own field. Uh, and it's been the fundamental basis for every team show and team structure ever since. And, and young writers who don't know that should should learn a little goddamn history. So uh, so we said, look, let us say Noah is around. The character Flynn Carson is still around, but uh, he recruits due to the uh, cataclysmic events of the first two episodes. Uh, he recruits the other people who would be qualified to be the librarian if he died. Uh, you know, who might be who are each more of a specialist than he is because he's at the tail end of ten years of being this guy. You know. And so uh, let's recruit those people, have them come on as part of the team because he has to change the way things are done. 
And, and that was really the challenge was say, okay, we, let's honor the movies. There's a lot of fans of the movies, which I was very surprised to know. I'll fully admit, I didn't know they were that mm. as, as popular as they are. I, I and, love and, the movies. I, you know, they, I, I they them, were that yeah. weird stealth thing where we're like, okay, let's give this a shot. And as soon as we announced it, people lost their minds. It was like this really weird and weird, I'll say, great groundswell of, of love for these movies. And so we said, let's let's make the series a continuation. Let's meet Flynn Carson after he's been gone for seven years since the last time we saw him. You know, let, let's actually do the timeline. And he's gone a little mad. Uh, and he's gone a little lonely. And then let's destroy his life and put these other people in as the new family he has to deal with. And and so the characters are uh, based around a, sort of a combination of the, the franchise elements from the movies and then new characters. Um, and interrupt me if any point you have a question. You know, uh, unfortunately, Bob Newhart can't really travel to work uh, as much as we love Bob, and he's fantastic and, and still working. But the rigors of a regular series, particularly one shot in Portland, were, were a little extreme. So uh, now, as his new guide to the what the sort of fragmented uh, library, he has the character Jenkins, which is John Larroquette, who's this fantastic character. And he brings where, where Bob Newhart's uh, uh, Judson was kind of an imp. He was the sort of ageless imp who, who always was cheerful and had a little bit of a, a sly uh, wink to him. Uh, Jenkins, John Larroquette plays the character with a lot of sadness and regret and a real sense of time and history. And so it was interesting because it really started as kind of a guardian character that we wrote bigger and bigger as the season went because, holy crap, you have John Larroquette. And eventually he gets a big giant payoff for the season. Uh, And then the other sort of signature element of the franchise was the strong female action lead. You know, uh, the, the female characters in the librarian movies, and these are 10 years ago, did not have to be rescued. They were not damsels in distress. They did not screw up and get kidnapped. You know, they were the action leads, and he was the sort of feckless sidekick, really, who just happened to be the guy whose name was on the franchise. Yeah, that was that's and, actually mostly the case in the first one. In the second one, he was getting a bit more confident. Yeah, he is, but he always, I mean, you know, Noah made a big point of this. He's always a little more confident than he is capable. You know, and in particular, we really, in the third one, wrote a big deal of the fact that he discovers she's a vampire. But as a result, she's just way stronger than he is. And she she is jumping farther and throwing him around like a kid. And, you know, we made a big deal of the fact he's in way over his head in the third one because he's funnier that way. And and that's the big thing is that we always wanted the the show to be funny. And and him is the kind of not very physically capable. uh, He can hold his own, but... But he probably needs someone. He gets easily distracted, as, as we put it. Uh, he can hold his own in a sword fight, but don't put a shiny object in front of him during it. So anyway, uh, yeah, the, the, the strong female uh, action hero. Uh, we created Eve, Colonel Eve Baird. She's um, uh, sort of NATO counter uh, intelligence and counterterrorism. She's an investigator. She knows how to ways around guns. She knows where around violence. And in the sort of classic, and I will absolutely say this sort of Doctor Who crossover of one plotline slamming into the other on a hunt for weapons of mass destruction, she slams right into Flynn Carson as a librarian recovering an ancient dangerous artifact, both of which are ticking clocks. And we do a big action sequence where she finds out about the librarian and then is recruited in uh, by the library to help him solve this sort of mystery of, of who's killing off other smart people around the world. Uh, and that leads us to the three people who could have been librarians, who, if you remember the movies, when when Flynn Carson went for the interview in the first movie, there was a whole line of people. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just he was the selected hero. He, there was a whole bunch of other people that were there. And so when we started the show, we said, well, who were those people? Like, they, in theory, were all potential leads of this show. Um, let's Let's say that our people are them. 
And so we, we, we picked three people who could have been librarian and weren't. We have Lindy Booth as Cassandra Killian, who is a brilliant mathematician, a brilliant scientist, and crippled by the fact uh, she has synesthesia, like Richard Feynman and many other uh, brilliant people did, where she has a sensory link to information. Uh, Feynman infamously saw numbers as colors. And, um, but because of an illness, it is overwhelming her. And so her gift is also her curse. The same thing allows her to be brilliant, cripples her from leading some sort, any sort of normal life or taking advantage of that gift. You have uh, Christian Kane as Jacob Stone, who is a brilliant art historian and just all around historian, but specifically art, uh, who, because of a family situation, never left his hometown to go become the librarian and has so been leading a, a secret life, a double life. On the Internet, in, in the world, he writes under these pseudonyms, these brilliant treatises on art and history, but to his friends and family, he's good old Jake who works on the pipeline. Mm-hmm. And so that is a, a librarian who, who re- refused his gift. That's and, and that's what we tried to do, is we looked, tried to look at each person and, and how they took the gift and they didn't use it. And then you have John Kim uh, as Ezekiel Jones, who is our thief. He's our thief. He's our techie. You know, if you're going to rob tombs, you want a tomb robber. And, and so he is the guy who has taken his genius and indulged in it selfishly. He steals for the sake of stealing. He steals for the sake of thrills. Uh, he is the one who has, has squandered his gift. And so each one of these three people are the ones that, that Flynn Carson must unite under the leadership of Colonel Eve Baird to go now solve the problems of a new status in the world, which is magic before had just been kind of lurking at the edges, but now is beginning to come back. And it requires more than just one guy to keep it under control. Is this team likely to be a, a little bit on the dis- on the dysfunctional side? Would you say? Uh, yes, as much as we can be, and that was a, a big deal. Is the actors, uh, you know, actually uh, Christian Kane and Rebecca Romain had worked together before. Uh, you know, Lindy Booth and, and, and Rebecca became very close friends very quickly. So we actually had to work hard to make sure that they didn't get along too well uh, in the first couple episodes. <laughs> And so, yeah, you'll definitely see there's a big there's a big rift between uh, Jacob Stone and Cassandra Killian. There's a big you know there's a big disagreement. You know, there at no we actually wrote uh, no bromance on the board at one point to make sure that you understand that at no point does Eve Baird actually ever come around to liking Ezekiel Jones. You know, he's 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 a bit of a jerk. And he stays a bit of a jerk, and his superpower is he's a bit of a jerk. And she never quite learns to deal with that. So yeah, this is this is not a bunch of people, even if they work well together, they don't much care for each other in certain combinations thereof. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And, and even by the finale of the season, they are they are they're they're close but not necessarily even friends. And and we want to kind of take that time to build that team up. A lot of the fun for me in shows is actually the process by which you learn to like and work with somebody who has nothing in common with you. Mm-hmm. Well, you you've got um, you've got two great actors here, and you know not you know we mentioned John Larroquette already, but you've got you've got Christian Kane, who's who's song like from Leverage Days. Um, how different his, his would you say his new character is from from the uh, from the heavy role that he, that he pretty much played in Leverage? Because obviously oh, it's, it's, it's it's very different. It's, I mean, you know, what's interesting is we kind of wrote it with Christian in mind, hoping he would be available. I mean, because he is he, he is. Uh, 
although he is loath to admit it, he does have a pretty good knowledge of both art and history. He, he, he is one of those poly... He, 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 he's an interesting dude. He's, he is an actual cowboy. He is an actual hard-ass. But uh, he's a great cook, and he's got a bit of thing for, for art and history. So, yeah, we wrote this kind of knowing, like, look, if he's around, he'll, he'll dig it. But Jacob Stone is much more kind of a really funny, genial guy, really sweet, in a world gone a little crazy. And, you know, he's playing this much more like Kurt Russell in Big Trouble in Little China. Uh-huh. You know, he's, he's very much playing this like, uh, look, I'm just a good old boy surrounded by magic, so I'm just going to punch things and solve problems. And, and But but Jacob Stone is not a world-wise guy. He hasn't traveled the world. He's very much stayed at home. He very much has a smaller worldview. And, and so even his fighting style, we were like, look, Christian, he's a brawler. He's a barroom brawler. He can handle himself against a bunch of drunks. He cannot fight ninjas. And Christian would just like, dude, I, I love fighting. I'm like, I know, but you can't do it this well. It was really <laughs> frustrating for the first three weeks. He's like, I, he'd throw a punch. I'm like, too good. It's too good. And Dean Devlin in a fight scene had to go over and go, you look too good. Big, sloppy haymakers. Big, sl-. And he's like, ah, you know, because he worked so hard for five years with the, stu- with the fight coordinators on leverage to get that sort of very tight little Elliot Spencer fighting style. And he called me, he's like, don't I get to punch someone this week? I'm like, no, you have to act. I'm sorry. Uh, but you know, but that's one of the interesting things about him. Kane Kane is a gifted character actor and a really, I would argue, one of the best comedic actors I've worked with. Tragically trapped in a leading man, um, and, and so I'm constantly dragging him in my writing over to no man. You're there for the jokes. You're great at the jokes, and, and mm-hmm. you know the jokes are easier on your knees and your back because you know he did all his own stunts on leverage and he was pretty beat up by the end of every year. I so bet. you know this is like just you know enjoy the fact you're doing big emotional scenes and. And, and jokes now. Yeah, I'm not making you jump off moving cars and shit. You know, the wonderful thing I felt about him in Leverage was he, he was pretty much wonderfully deadpan. <laughs> You know, well, that, and that's it. I mean, the straight man always has the harder role. And the reason Aldous Hodge, who is a very gifted comedian, but the reason Aldous Hodge works so well is because Christian Kane is giving him the deadpan to play off of. And when you would see the little cracks of when Elliot would be delighted or happy with something, like in the baseball episode where he really likes the fact that that Aldous, that uh, Hardison made the Japanese drink commercial for him, it, 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 it flares, it pops. And in the same way, Jacob Stone is this very sort of working class guy and he has his little flares of I can't believe I'm saying this. You know, he's, he's a he's a he's a genuinely funny actor and a genuinely gifted comedic actor, and he never gets to do it a lot. And so this show is kind of because the show is very lighthearted and very family oriented. It's a chance for him to do the lighter performances. Mm-hmm. As as a, I was reading somewhere that you've actually for, for the librarian, you've you've actually continued the tradition that was started in the movies by having the librarians and the subtitle. Yes, uh, we look. It was kind of. One of the great things about the show is there were no rules, uh, you know, because the, the, the movies were artifact hunts. And I, I the first thing I did is I look, guys, I love the movies. Warehouse 13, a show I loved that my friend Saul Rubinek was on, did this very well. We can't just do this show now. We have to do something different. And so the writers and I sat down and said, well, what, what's, what would be fun to do? I mean, we really didn't know. And we're like, you know, remember the X-Files, the early years of the X-Files when you just didn't know what it was going to be every week? Mm-hmm. Where you'd show up and it's like, maybe it's a monster. Maybe it's a cult. Maybe it's aliens. You just don't know. That was fun. And so we said, well, look, let's do that. Let's make this a pulp adventure show where you just don't know what it's going to be every week. And, and part of that ethos was the, the titles. Was, was like, look, much like Doc Savage would be, you know, Doc Savage and the 
Temple of Darkness. You know, we want to do the librarians and the horns of the dilemma, the librarians and the rule of three. You know, really invest the audience in this is this week's adventure. You know, and I think it really little things like that really make a difference. Mm. I mean, I, I kind of like I kind of like stuff like that anyway because um, I, I think uh, you know one of the reasons that I you know really enjoyed watching some of your shows and movies. Um, in, 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 in the past is because you, you kind of have that pulp sensitivity going on. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, it is, I, I will fully admit, you know, Chris Downey and I used to joke that basically uh, Leverage was the best show that was on in 1972 you never saw, like on Friday nights right after Rockford. You know, and to me, this is the show, if I had been 12, I would have lost my mind and it would have made me go be a pulp writer. You know, absolutely. You know, and, and look, we're all writing a variation on pulp. Just some people dress it up, making it very, very serious in order to, you know, put a little more weight on it or scramble for legitimacy or, you know, to me, don't be ashamed. It's fun. It's funny. Sometimes it's sad. Sometimes it's heartbreaking. Sometimes it's scary. You know, it's it's big, high emotion. Embrace that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, one of the other actors we, we've, we've touched on, on on a briefing, but how did you get Rebecca Romjom? To, you know, for, for, for the part that, that she's got to play in this. Because I, th- I thought she'd sort of like be kind of a, a little bit maybe big for television because she, she was Mystique in the X-Men movies and stuff like that. Well, she's been doing, she goes back and forth between movies and TV. She kind of, she kind of like, if she finds a TV role she digs, she does it. And she's trying to, she was trying to like just settle a little bit more. You know, she's married to Jerry O'Connell. They have two little girls. They like, you know, they're 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 very cool people. They're actually like the coolest couple you've ever hung out with. It's a little weird. They're like your your friends from the softball team. It's, it's very they're a very uh, charming couple. Jerry is like the nicest dude on earth, and everyone jokes that when he shows up on set, you can't get any work done because he's <laughs> he's so not he, he's just hanging out with Jerry. Um, but, uh, you know, she has done back and forth and she had just done a run on TNT for King and Maxwell as a female secret service agent. And so I knew she could do action and I knew she could do, you know, kick ass. And, and when you meet her and, and this really comes across on the show, she has this really great deadpan. She, Rebecca is really funny and she never gets to be funny because she's very beautiful and she does big action movies. And, and, and part of the fun of the show was writing to the fact that, yeah, that's her voice as a human being. That sense of humor there, those jokes she's making, that's her. She's this very dry, cynical, seen-it-all person in real life. And that really comes across at the show. We very much wrote to her when we got her. Uh, but yeah, no, look, we we went out there to see what we could find, and, and we were lucky enough that she came in and agreed to do it. She liked the character. She thought it would be fun and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, n- now song I've got kind of like some of the main cast out of the way, um, are, are we not to see any, uh, are there any good, good, good guest actors coming in for the oh, series? We we got a really great batch of guest actors. Actually, it was one of those weird things where this. I- much like we get a lot of good guest actors on Leverage because we wrote big villains that nobody ever gets to play, we wrote big, uh, we wrote big magic stuff that nobody, everyone was like, "Wow, this will be a fun two weeks." Like you know, that's and that's what a lot of actors are looking for. They're like, "Just let me have fun for a week." Uh, so we got um, Trisha Helfer in the first episode right after the pilot as the head of a, a, a corporation with a, a very, very, very old secret in the basement. Um, we got Alicia Witt uh, as a teacher at a science fair where there's witchcraft going on. We got uh, Matt Frewer as a recurring villain. He's Dulac. He's the new head of the Serpent Society who showed up in the first uh, movie and is now you know the head of the conspiracy trying to bring magic back to the world. Uh, we've got um, – and of course the big thing, we've got Bruce Campbell uh, – 
as Santa Claus. (laughs) That's any secret. We're going to promote the hell out of it when we air it. But he is our Santa Claus. And he plays it in a very sarcastic Bruce Campbell way. And and I have to give this great credit to Bruce. Um, The role was written to be very funny. I mean, it's it's a very quirky take on Santa Claus. But there's two moments that are really just very sincere and heartbreaking. And he kills you in them. I mean, he just... Bruce is a great actor and he doesn't always get to show those chops. And there's two moments in it that he brings you to tears with just a single line. Just just the, that much power of acting. You know, that many years he's been doing it. And, and it's, we're really very lucky. We're very lucky. Mm-hmm. Do you think we'll be able to get Will Wheaton on eight a day? Or do you, would that be too, too sort of like close to leverage? <laughs> uh, well, well, Will's too busy. I can't get Will. You know, he's too, he's too, uh, he's too jammed up. Also, the argument, you know, we have the running argument about whether the librarians and leverage are actually in the same universe so we don't know if we're going to bring them back as chaos or not or a totally different character we're a little we're still arguing about that mm-hmm. um you know i think alert viewers might notice a couple little hints floating around that maybe the universe is, is a little bigger than you think it is um so you know I, i'd love to get will will is always a pleasure uh he's he's a fantastic guy and a very good friend and um you know we'll, we'll get him as soon as we get you know he, he was right he had his own show on sci-fi this year so we couldn't really get him, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, you know we will we will endeavor to um, we will uh, endeavor to get him on the show as soon as possible. Yeah, that, that that'd be cool. I mean, you know, I, you know, I thought it was fantastic as chaos, and uh, you know, pretty much. Uh, you know, since he's come back on the scene as an actor, because, you know, there was a while there where there was a Will Wheaton drought throughout <laughs> some, most of the 90s and into, into early 2000s. And and we don't want that. We want to make sure everyone has a big, uh, whopping pint of Wheaton. Um, wait, is that right? That's probably not the right way to say that. <laughs> uh, so, no, I mean, look, and, and he's, and, and look, it's it's tricky. He's very successful as a producer and writer now. You know, getting him to, getting him to be available as an actor is always a little tricky, so, you know, uh, Everyone cross your fingers and uh, get him on, bug him on Twitter that you want to see him on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I read somewhere, I think it was um, in the interview you did with SFX magazine, where, where you, you, you was uh, you were saying that you're, you're kind of hopeful librarians is for it to be kind of like the US equivalent to Doctor Who, where it's completely different story setting and, uh, and, and, um, and, and topic from week to week. Yeah, I mean, it's very funny because uh, I started as the big Doctor Who fan. I'm old school. You know, Tom Baker was my doctor. Yeah, it was my And then when we were doing Leverage, we were making enough Doctor Who references. We made Hardison an actual fan. We made a lot of Doctor Who references. And then Dean Devlin was finally like, what the hell are you doing? And so he started watching, and he was was incredibly hooked. Like, Dean Devlin is the biggest Doctor Who geek on Earth. He dragged (laughs) me to the theater premiere of of the 50th anniversary special like he found the theater in LA and brought a bunch of us like he's huge and so really you know as we were doing this he said man America doesn't have that show you know America doesn't have the show he and, and Dean's a guy who makes stuff he wants to watch and he's like we just don't have that show where every week it's fun and kind of sad and there's some emo and there's an art and I said all right well look we can't you know we can't do a time travel show we we're not that we're not that but the tone of it is very much the sort of mysteries and wonders of the universe and that sort of very uh, uh, and I will fully admit we're probably a little bit more Davies than we are Moffat, mm-hmm. you know, in tone. Uh, and I'm okay with that. You know, I think that uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, th- I think Davies um, t- tended to keep things a, a little nighter than, than Moffat. Yes. Moffat, Moffat kind of goes a little bit 
uh, you know, perhaps too dark for some people. Well, I, I don't even know about the darkness, but a lot of times the, the, the show, and I oh, say this a, a, a giant fan, um, uh, I, I think the show sometimes becomes the entire season is the puzzle he's constructing, mm-hmm. and and the fun of it is, holy shit, I can't believe he pulled that off. And I say that as a, as a, I'm sorry for swearing, but I say that as someone who writes television, like, oh my god. And and so, you know, and, 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 and Russell Davies was always been more, here's the big emotional moment, here's the big thing of this episode. And so I think we follow a bit more on that. That said, when you have 10 episodes, even doing it on as short notice as we do, you have the ability to construct an interesting short-term puzzle. And so the, the very much the, for the librarians, and, and I believe this a lot for most first season shows because there's so much out there, it's so hard to get people to tune in on the first, on the premiere night, and they, you know, it's all word of mouth. For the librarians, you can hop in anywhere. You can watch any episode in any order and pretty much get what's going on. Like, oh, they're librarians, they hunt magic. I get it. But if you watch them in a row and you watch the whole season, you are rewarded by the fact of, oh, look at what they did there. It all pays off in episode 10. It was all leading up to here. There are little hints dropped all through the episodes of who is what and who's doing what and why does the library not recognize Baird and, and uh, you know, all this stuff that pays off in the final episode. So so we, we, uh, we, we encourage one-time viewing and drop-in viewing, but we reward consistency. Consistent viewing. Mm-hmm. And what, one of the things that, um, that I think is great that you got serious out of it is it, it certainly gives you as writers and, 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 and creators more, more chance to kind of um, explore the, uh, the mythology behind, behind the librarians and, and, um, and how far their, their, their actual job dates back. Well, well, that was a big part of it, is even though we, we, we do some stuff to the library that in order to strand uh, Noah's character a little because he had a little too much of a support system. A good protagonist has nothing but problems. Um, you know, part of the fun was we said, look, we have a bunch of... The, uh, everyone in the room is a giant geek. Every, every writer here is a, a science fiction fan, except Paul Guillaume, which was good because we had one guy who was like, all right, got to explain that to me. Uh, you know, he was our number two on leverage and came over to be my number two here and did a great job. Um, so we said, let us just say, let us, and we actually make a Wold Newton joke in in one of the episodes. Let us assume we are in Wold Newton world after we explain that to Paul and say. All stories are true. All myths are true. All legends are true. All magical traditions are true. They are all interwoven and hidden and mixed and mixed up in the history of the world. Go. And so nothing's off base. And so we have actually created a full-on different history of the world, uh, though we don't go into it too much detail, but it is always there and we know what it is, that magic was always around, looking at the edges. There were always these magical organizations. There's always this little world just outside your field of vision. And let's go poke around in the edges of that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of episodes where we kind of glance at, oh, that's why this happened in 1915, and then move on. Yeah, and that to me is the fun of it, is the idea that there's this whole his- magical history, that the library, it's not just about the library, the library is part of this magical world and magical history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, can you can you ever see yourselves doing sort of like, uh, I've just thought of this question just now. Um, but can you ever see yourselves doing so like if, if you get a, se- a second series which hopefully you do can you see yourselves doing um, an episode where you shoot it in, t- in its entirety in black and white 
um, like one of the old Republic serials, kind of like of a, a homage to those? Well, we'll see. You know, um, it, it, that's a really good question. I think that you need to establish the ground rules of the show. I mean, you know, we never really did a super experimental leverage till season three uh, when we split them. You know, when we did the um, uh, Boys Night and Girls Night out. Uh, and then the flashback episode, I think, was that season or season four? I can't remember. Um, but, you, you know, you want to let the show find its feet so the audience knows what it is. And then you can begin to play with the format. But certainly, I think what this show lends itself to is a lot of weird storytelling styles. Uh, you know, I, be they unreliable narrator or historical um, perspective. Uh, we've got kind of a funky, the season finale for this year is kind of a funky storytelling format. Uh, so, yeah, I think we can absolutely, the fun of the show, if we get more seasons, is what's the what's the most interesting way to tell each story? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing it on one day when it, when it airs here. Thank you. I'm glad, I'm so, glad you're looking forward to it. So, We're very proud of it. Because I, I'm a huge fan of the films. Um, you know, you know, so like, I think the last the last one you did at the films was was the Judas Chalice. Yes. Um, yeah, which we shot in New Orleans. Yep, and and that you know, that, I, I just I kind of love that story, and I love the, uh, the you know the fact that um, you know he he was in deep water, and he, he, that that was probably the deepest that that Noah Wang's character was um, was actually in hot water in in that episode, I think. Yeah, and that was, and that's the thing. It's a sort of escalating threat, and that means he becomes a better and better hero. So, and that was part of why we got him all the way there by the premiere of this, where he is very much like, wow, he is super capable, and he's gone a little crazy. Uh, and we actually mentioned um, twice uh, in the series the events of the Judas Chalice uh, for the audience to pay. There, there's a little bit where he's explaining the vampires are real. Dracula isn't because he killed him. This probably isn't helping. You know, he's, he's kind of throwing away the history of the show that the, the characters don't know what he's talking about, but the audience does. And then he actually very specifically talks about uh, Stannis' character in the Judas Chalice in a, in a later episode. So, you know, the, the movies were very influential, uh, very beloved, and, and, you know, we very much... Uh, you should watch them before you watch the show. You don't need to, but it will mean something. If It will make a lot of stuff make more sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you Will get added value for watching the movies because you'll understand we're really continuing something here. I, I wish I could. I've actually been trying to get them on DVD here for years. Uh, they're not available over there? Oh, wow. No, I, can't, I, believe, I can't find I, them. I believe we have a deal. We'll be rerunning them. Um, most of the places the show is airing will be rerunning the movies. I don't know if they're doing it over there, but uh, I know the market. So uh, I'll, talk, I'll talk to the guys about that. I didn't know that wasn't available over there. Well, it's, I mean, look, it's, it's very hard. And, you know, we're very... Only now do companies, production companies and studios, have a coherent deal where it's the same people controlling all forms of release. You know, to get stuff on digital now, we have to go back and find the people who did the DVD, figure out what deal we have with them. It's just a mess. I mean, it's a real, it's a real pity, to tell you the truth. Because mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to revisit them because they, they are good movies. And every time, they are, every time they're on, on, on a, one, of our, one of our cable or satellite channels... Uh, I make a point of uh, of trying to watch it, <laughs> but then I forget. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Else and... There's a million things on. I mean, look, we, we talk about this all the time. It's like, how do you get, how do you make noise? How do you get uh, the audience's attention when there's no word of a lie, like 135 shows premiering every every year in the States, you know, between cable and broadcast and, and now streaming, you know, it, it's very difficult for your audience to find you. And this is one of the things that I say, uh, you know, is important that you have to make bold moves. Uh, you have to 
to just assume that there's a couple million people out there who will like what you make. The trick is to make sure they know you exist because the, the, the fan trying to get everyone to like you now is madness. You know, it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and, and of course, you know, in, in, sci- in science fiction and fantasy, there are so many subgenres and, and stuff like that where you get people that so like specifically like one subgenre and only like one subgenre and nothing else. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, uh, that is tricky. And, and at the same time, though, I was always surprised by how Leverage had a genre audience um, and a big genre audience. Like, I think we kind of officially dropped into a genre show somehow. As soon as the Buffy Leverage fanfic showed up, I knew that we'd somehow made this weird transition, probably because there were so many genre writers on the show and, of course, Kane and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that genre fans are actually kind of cool in that they will sample, you know, they will actually go, all right, well, let me give this a try. And they will follow actors they like, and they'll follow a concept they like. So, you know, I don't believe in, I don't believe in the ghettoization of the genre fan. I think that is something that is the loudest population of fans. Uh, but I don't necessarily think it's the majority of fans. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, John, it's been great speaking to you again, and, and you know, really the best of luck with the show. I hope it's another hit for you. I, I, I hope you guys enjoy it, and I uh, look forward to talking to you again. And, and thanks to all the British fans who've uh, who've watched the movies and hopefully enjoy the show. Okay, well, um, you know, I'm sure I'm sure they will. I mean, it's so like it, you know, from what what I from what I've read about it, and and the, and the little that I've already seen in in in, in some of the photographs that have been released. It looks like it's going to be quite, quite, quite a good ride. Well, I, 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 from your lips to the ratings, God's ears. I appreciate it. All right, Ian, thanks a lot. Okay, thanks a lot. Bye. Hey, everybody, this is Nick Tarabay, and uh, I'm here at SFP Now. Keep listening. Thank you so much. And that's about all we have time for this week. Um, I'd like to thank you all for listening and uh, wish you all um, a very, very happy Christmas and a prosperous 2015. Um, we're going to be back with a few things uh, before uh, we wrap up 2014. We have um, a Star Wars special episode coming up and we also, we're also going to be recording um, a new roundtable discussion where we'll be talking about the best and worst of 2014. Um, in in our opinion obviously using listeners probably won't agree with our opinions or you might agree whatever um doesn't really matter at the end because um everyone's got an opinion <laughs> um but we will be we'll be running that towards the end of the work uh, towards the end of the year um but as ever thanks for your support uh, throughout the years and um you know keep on listening and we'll keep on producing so that's all for now bye